Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning and uh, welcome. It is good to see you guys this morning. We are wrapping up our series, The Kingdom Is, uh, this morning. And so if you're joining us online or you're new with us this morning in the auditorium, we are excited and honored that you're worshiping with us today as God leads us through his word. Uh, We have been looking in this series at uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, looking at its traits and its uh, values and its virtues and how those are to kind of come into our lives and grow throughout our lives as we are citizens of that kingdom, of his kingdom. And as we wrap up today, Today is the kingdom is now. And so if you have a Bible and you want to join me in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, we'll get there in just a minute. As you're turning there, a quick note, our Costa Rica team is back safely. Uh, They all came back. Yep. Praise God. It's not just me. I didn't leave them. They are here. And uh, we are thankful for your prayers, your support, uh, some of the comments that were made through the trip journal. Thank you so much for uh, just uh, you know, being an extension of our team as we were there. I can say that uh, the trip was just a, another piece of building our a familial relationship with pastor and his family and the church there. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier to someone who was asking about the trip, and I've run out of words to describe these trips. Like, I don't have any other good words other than they're great. They're amazing. It's, it's incredible to watch how God brings us together and then works and ministers through us to others the good news of the gospel and so um, it was it was great and we're gonna we're working on putting together the highlight video to share with you so in a couple weeks we'll get everything together because there's a lot and uh, we'll be sharing that with you uh, coming up Um, we do have our largest group um, that we've ever taken committed in our June trip. So in about four months, we're going to, God willing, uh, we're going to take the largest group from our church uh, on a trip to our partner in Costa Rica. So be praying for that as they are beginning to prepare for that trip. And if you want to go, uh, we have one more opportunity this year. Uh, we have a new trip in October. Uh, so if you want to be uh, involved in that or you want to at least get some information about that trip or future trips uh, on the Costa Rica wall in the back. There are some packets um, that you can grab one of those after service today and be praying about maybe joining us on a trip, uh, get some more information about that. And we've released some dates for 2024 as well. So um, you can uh, be praying about maybe joining us on one of those trips. Okay. Today, like I said, the kingdom is now. Today we end with the beginning. The start of Jesus' earthly ministry from Mark chapter 1. Also today is a very exciting day. We get to celebrate what God has been doing over the last year in our For the Kingdom work, um, where he has led us and where he is leading us into the future. So again, if you are new with us, first of all, again, 
welcome. Uh, this will be hopefully an informative day to see the, the work of God in, in the time that he has led us in our For the Kingdom campaign and, and where the future is and where the Lord is leading us. And so um, that will be, I'll be sharing all that at the end of our time together. All right, back to the beginning, Mark chapter 1. Mark begins uh, his narrative, his, his uh, story of Jesus' life and ministry with a summary of his preaching. Uh, if you were to read through the uh, gospel of Mark, um, you, you may ask the question, you know, why did Jesus come? Or you might start with the question, why did Jesus come? What does it all mean? Um, at the beginning, Mark wants us to pay attention to how Jesus himself answers those questions for us. Uh, he answers the question for us in his preaching. In other words, uh, the message Jesus proclaims helps us understand the significance of the ministry that he fulfills. And Mark is going to anchor really everything, and we're not studying the book of Mark, but he's going to anchor everything else in his narrative, in his account of Jesus' ministry by showing us Jesus' message. Here's what Jesus is all about, is what he's going to show us. Here is the significance of his coming as Jesus himself explains it to us in one verse. Now, before we get to that, there is a belief, an ideology, a... a, a topic that's often discussed and, and looked at, this idea that there are no absolutes, that your truth is yours and mine is mine, and you can believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe. And, and what Mark in his gospel really does is confront that with the fact that, that there is no happy neutrality, that, that the truth matters, the truth is real, and, and that you must say yes or no. He's, he confronts that, and he confronts it very early on, right from the beginning. If you, if you just look at how he starts chapter 1, he starts chapter 1 with the implied understanding that this person who came from heaven, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He, he, he doesn't state that. He doesn't do what Matthew does with the genealogy. He, he implies immediately. Immediately that this is the Savior that, that has come for us. He's leading us to this place in his beginning, this, this declaration that the baby in the manger that we celebrate and look at uh, at Christmas time, God in the flesh, right, is the Messiah. He, he begins with that, it's already understood, right? And it, it's a radical claim because either he is or he isn't. There is no middle. And if you look again as, as he starts this, you ponder that and you're thinking, well, maybe that is true. You know, maybe God in the flesh, hope of the world, maybe that could be true. Mark tells us that Jesus comes up out of the water uh, in his baptism and God spoke, this is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. It's a declaration. It's an affirmation, right? That there is no neutral here. That, that either he is the son of God or he isn't. And then the Spirit takes him immediately into the wilderness is the next part of chapter 1. So I'm kind of giving you a review of, of chapter 1. And, and what has been declared is confirmed. Jesus, the second Adam, walking where the first walked, facing temptation and the, the temptation of substitutions as the devil tempted him, never failing, right? So he may be the perfect spotless lamb who endures the cross, takes the penalty for sin for all people, that through him that we find our justification and acceptance and forgiveness and eternal hope. Now we can see that, we can read that, and we can say, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's nice if you like to believe that. It's okay if it makes you feel good to believe that. If, if you need that, believe that. 
And we can't do that. We can't say that. This is an account of history that happened, and it puts in, in front of us remarkable claims of Christ that are the ultimate dividing line of humanity. We believe these things or we don't. We live these things out or we don't. There is no happy neutrality. That's what the Gospel of Mark will present over and over. And that's what should propel us outside of this room. To want to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because we do believe it to be true. We believe these radical claims are true. It is what God is using in our faith in Him to expand the campus. To provide a holistic gospel proclamation to all people. To all people, no matter where they're at or what they're going through in life. We do believe it to be true. And now we we come to our text And Mark records that Jesus waited until the prophet John the Baptist, who really consumes the first part of chapter 1 of the book of Mark. He waits to, and John the Baptist was raised up to prepare the way to announce the, the arrival of Jesus, right? He is arrested, and Jesus waits until he's arrested. And, and the significance is that, that when that happens, Jesus now walks onto the scene as the final prophet of God, declaring the final message of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And it's important where he does this. Jesus' ministry, as Mark records, begins in Galilee. Now, Galilee was the most influential region of Palestine. And Jesus chooses to begin his ministry there. You begin to get a sense that that this is the one, then, who is called the light of the world to the Gentiles, right? In prophecy, that through him, this one, Jesus, this amazing message of the kingdom is truly going to spread to every corner of the earth. And then we get to our text, Jesus speaking to us. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We're going to spend the rest of our time on that verse. And we're going to break it into its three parts. And each one of these parts is kind of going to be the point. And the first one is this. The time is fulfilled. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Now, by the time Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee, as Mark records, God's people have been waiting patiently for a very, very long time for the coming of God's Messiah, right? God had made his covenant to Abraham some almost 2,000 years prior to this. Um, He had spoken it again through Moses and through David and through the prophets. He had repeated it and he had expanded upon that promise that there is a Savior coming, a Messiah coming, and, and he's bringing my kingdom as he comes. And now Jesus comes in preaching, and the first thing that he says in verse 15 is, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. It's not another, hey, wait patiently. Uh, it's almost time. It's almost here. Uh, it's coming. Just, just be patient. It's not what he says here, right? Uh, he finally comes in and he says, no, the time has come. The time has been fulfilled. And can I just say that there's going to be another time that he comes back and say, the time is now because he's coming back. This is God's perfect timing. 
And Jesus is saying everything that happened in the Old Testament, if you were to go back to the beginning of the Bible and begin with Genesis and work through Malachi, everything that has happened in the Old Testament, in the history in the Old Testament, has been marching toward this moment. So as you read through the Old Testament, and at moments, if you read through the Old Testament, at moments, it looks just like complete chaos, like it's exploded into chaos. And you wonder as you're reading it, man, is, you know, with what, what's going on in the world at that time, you wonder if God's plan, God's promise is able to survive all of that, the, the evil politics, the wars, the rebellion of his own people, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as you read the Old Testament. And what we realize as Jesus makes this statement that God is sovereign, meaning he's in complete control, and his will will be done. And God is guiding history to this moment where Jesus would stand and say, the kingdom is at hand, the time has come. Everything that you think, that we think, and if you were just to do, just a cursory overview of the Old Testament of the things that happen of the history, of the problems, of the challenges, we would go, man, there's, how's he going to do this? Like, we would doubt it. We would see uncertainty. But what we see here with Jesus' statement is that God's will will be done. And nothing, nothing will stop it. Every judge, every prophet, every priest, every king was a foreshadowing of the judge and the prophet and the priest and the king who would come, who is Jesus Christ. The perfect timing of God is, is what we've entrusted as a church in, in, in this movement of our church in our For the Kingdom expansion. I mean, we waited for his clarity and his confirmation of go. And, and now we're, we're at the one-year mark, a year into it, and, and it has been nothing short of a move of God. Only God. So just like our textual moment that we just looked at, God is actively working in his governance in all things by his providence so that this moment that he had chosen and appointed and ordained, this day, this time would finally come. And so the promise that God is sovereign, the truth that God is sovereign, and because of that, he's promised that one would come who would sit on the throne of David. There would be a moment that he would come. The one who is the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. And nothing, listen again, nothing could stand in the way of that happening. Not the outrageous rebellion of his people, not the murderous intent of surrounding nations, not the corruption of kings, not the rebellion of people, nothing could stand in the way of what God chooses to do. God's will will be done. And that is hope for us. It's hope. It produces hope within us. And it produces hope and, and a holding on to his promises. So do we believe that? Do, do we act, do we live and respond as if we actually believe that God is sovereign? Do, do we believe in his timing or do we struggle with God's timing? Do we wonder if he's hearing our prayers? Do we, do we wonder if he knows the right time to deliver on the promises that he's given to us? Do we, do we wonder those things about God? And at just the right time, in, in his unshakable sovereign plan, Jesus came and began the announcement of his kingdom 
time is fulfilled. Do you and I, do we rest in that sovereignty? Paul makes the same point for us. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Here's how it impacted him as he was writing to the church in Galatia. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem, look at the action that is happening, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because, watch the progression, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, verse 7, so then, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's a promise. And as you hear that promise, the, the announcement of Jesus saying the time is fulfilled confirms and affirms this promise to us because God's will will be done. This promise, this truth, for our, this reality for our lives that's given to us will be true. A promise kept. That's our God. Now, given the faithfulness of God to his promise over the ages, and again, thousands of years, right? Fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he makes this statement, the time is fulfilled. Do we really think that his promises to care for us, to guide us, to provide for us, to sustain us. Do we really think our present you know, is a greater challenge to the fulfillment of those promises than the challenge confronting him across the thousands of years to keep his word that a Savior would come and that his kingdom would begin in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really believe ourselves so significant so central to the, to the good functioning of the universe that the apparent roadblocks that appear in our way might somehow derail the plan of God to keep His promise to us. Friends, family, church, brothers, sisters, please hear this. Jesus came because the time was fulfilled. In the fullness of time, when the time was just right, and because he did, listen, here's, here's the implication. There is no problem confronting us, no problem confronting you or I, so great that we cannot safely entrust it to God's wise ordering and his perfect plan. His timing is perfect, and we must believe that. His timing is perfect. His plan never fails his promises are sure, and because of that, you and I can trust him. We can trust him. So the time is fulfilled, which leads to the second part of Jesus' statement, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was saying, right now, something is happening that has never happened before. As he makes this statement to those who would hear it, he's saying something is happening that has never happened before. The saving rule of God is exploding. It's coming into our midst in a way, in a new way. The kingdom is at hand right here. Now that I am here, 
The kingdom has come. Put yourself in the position of the people who would hear this when Jesus would make this in in Galilee, when he would make this statement, who would be familiar with the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah, right? And the one who would come and sit on the throne of David. They, They knew all that. And as you see, then you, as you understand that, you see how radical the statement is when Jesus says, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, I am the king, and the kingdom of God is here because the king is here, which is me. I am the king. I bring the kingdom with me. You can't have the kingdom of God without the king. I am the king, therefore the kingdom of God is here. It's radical. And there is no neutrality there. Either you believe that or you don't. So in the fulfillment of those promises, he's saying, you know, I have come. The king has come. His feet are actually touching earth. He is beginning to minister now the liberating gospel of God. One writer said, he said this about this text. He said, and since then we have the expansion of that kingdom as his kingship reigns in the hearts of people who submit to him in faith. And that reign of grace begins to liberate us from the confines of our own little kingdom and begins to give us the ability to live for something greater than ourselves. And the rule of that kingdom spreads throughout the entire world. And we have been watching it, been a part of it here, been watching it over 2,000 plus years as the gospel has advanced and nothing has been able to stop it. Nothing. And it continues. And in our time in Costa Rica, we get to watch it continue to advance. In our time here, we get to watch it continue to advance. It's part of... Before the kingdom expansion, to watch it continue to grow and advance and to be a part of that even in greater ways. And then we have the culmination of that kingdom, physical kingdom where the king reigns, and we are with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. So, as, so this is as important moment as he makes this because the kingdom is now near in person in the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, it's available. It's available. For everyone, not just small group of people or certain people, but it's available to all people. And then immediately upon making that, the call of the kingdom then is repent and believe in the gospel. Meaning that we cannot embrace the kingship of Christ without embracing how the kingship defines us. Talk about identity for a minute. We embrace his identity without humbly embracing how it defines we can't embrace his identity without humbly embracing how it defines our identity. And what I mean by that, that's where there is no such thing as faith without repentance. There is no such thing as, as faith without humble confession of a deep personal need. Which might lead to the question, well, why, why do I need a king? I know why I need a king because I make a terrible king. And I have people in my life who can confirm that. I am a terrible king. And this whole idea of, of king and, and, and kingdom is, is a little foreign to us in the fact that we just don't have that in our country. But, but why do we need a king? And here's, here's why. Because we are incapable of self-rule. We are incapable of choosing the right path. We are incapable of doing what is right. We are, we are incapable of, of building in our desire for our own kingdom a life that, that would please God Why? Because of our sin, the human condition, our sinful nature, which leads us, the the, the sin in our lives makes us want to be king. What we want is to be king. And if we're honest, most of our anger, most of our outrage doesn't have anything to do with God's kingdom. 
Our anger and our outrage has everything to do with our kingdom. Meaning, I don't want you to ever disagree with one of my opinions. I don't want you to get in the way of my schedule. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to set my own morality. I, I want to believe whatever is, I, whatever is what I think is fun to believe. I, I, I want to do whatever pleases me. I want to be king. And so what the kingship of Jesus Christ does is it rescues me from me. The king came to destroy our kingdom, and this is so important. He came to destroy our little K kingdom. Because as long as we live allegiant to our little K kingdom, we cannot live in faith in capital K kingdom with the capital K king. His kingship absolutely describes and defines the struggles of our heart. That's why we... That's why he says to us, you just can't come to me with some intellectual assent, some academic theological knowledge. You can't, you can't just come to me in that belief of just, just knowing words and, and, and things of Scripture. You, can't, you, you, you come to me weeping because faith weeps. That's what it does. It's called humility, self-awareness. It brings Brings us in, in focus compared to an almighty, holy, and beautiful, and majestic, and grace-filled God. And that's why the gospel of the good news of the kingdom must be a call to repentance and faith. Again, which is our last piece of what Jesus says. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are not separate. Do not separate them. It is vital that we understand that what Jesus is saying is one point, not two. Repent and believe in the gospel is one. Meaning you can't repent without believing. And everyone who believes repents. Repentance doesn't precede faith as its condition. And faith never exists in the heart that does not turn from sin to God in repentance. Think about what repentance is. Repentance is a definitive change in my heart that leads to a definitive change in direction of my life. And so repentance requires change in thoughts and desires of my heart. Meaning, I reject the thought that I am righteous. I reject the thought that I'm in control. And for all those of us who believe we are in control, it's an illusion. I reject all the falsehoods that would keep me away from the embrace of Jesus. I, I reject selfish desire. I reject my desire for autonomy. I reject evil desire. I reject the desire for, for self-sovereignty. I, I submit myself. I give my desires. I, I give my will to the pleasure of the one who is my king. And if the quality and content of our thoughts and our desires change... As an intentional act of faith, then the direction of our lives will change with it. So, so if we have a new set of desires now, not a desire that, will, that is our will be done or my will be done or my kingdom come, but a desire that his will be done and his kingdom has come, shouldn't that then live in our situations and our relationships? True faith, true faith as it claims our thought and desire will always result in a transformed life. True faith, as it claims our thoughts and our desires, will always result in a transformed life. And as God operates in grace to give us those new desires and new thoughts, because it comes from Him, He also operates in grace to empower us to do 
what we would have been unable to do on our own. That's why the kingdom and its announcement has to be, had to be, has to be followed by the melting, the coming together of both parts, repentance and faith. You cannot have faith without repentance and you cannot have repentance without faith. So let's be honest right now for a moment. Let's be honest. Let's own the fact together that that we may be, there may be a little part of us when we speak to disciples, to Christians. There may be a part of us still within us that desires autonomy, self-sovereignty, still wants to be little K king. And as we own that, let us begin to realize that repentance and faith are not then one-time acts. Like you don't do it one time and it's done. We never drift away from the gospel. We never drift away from this, this call of Christ in our lives, but rather it is a lifestyle that I believe again and again. I believe and I say, say, help my unbelief, and I repent, right? I confess, thanking God for his grace of forgiveness and empowerment, but I repent again, and I repent again, right? And that means none of us then are drifting. That means none of us as well have arrived. What it does mean is that we don't look down on people who are not as far along as we are because we're in process too. All of us, all of us are in process. And although we've moved maybe a little farther from where we are, we know we have a great place to go. And what that does is what that produces and what it should be doing is that it produces a community of compassion of grace, of acceptance, and, and, and not self-righteousness and condemnation. It should bring us together as one, as Jesus prayed to the Father, make them one. So we repent and we believe. But what do we repent and believe? In the gospel, the last part. Now what's the gospel? Or rather, better probably, what's the good news? What's the good news of the kingdom? Uh, what, what's, what is the news that's so awesome and so beautiful and life-transforming that when you get it, you not only want to embrace it, but you want to go tell everybody that you can tell who will hear about it? Here's the good news. Because the King has come in the glory of His transforming grace, here it is, change is possible. Change is possible. We're not stuck We're not stuck in those things that that grip and chain us down. We're not bound anymore, but change is possible. We're not condemned to our rebellion. We're not condemned to our foolishness. We're not condemned to our selfishness. We're not condemned to our arrogance. We can look at the darkest night of sin with hope because our king brings good news. And that good news is radical life transformation, change. Meaning we don't give up because the king has come. And the good news is that he has brought hope, the hope of change with him. And this king would never, this king would never call us to repent if that turn of repentance was not possible by his grace. That's why we call it amazing grace. See, the gospel is called the gospel of God because it comes from God and it brings us to God. It is the gospel of the kingdom because faith in the Savior brings you into his kingdom. 
It is the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is the heart of it. Without his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise of coming again, there would be no good news. Paul called it the gospel of the grace of God because there can be no salvation apart from God's grace. There is only one gospel. And it centers in what Jesus Christ did for us in his perfect life on the cross through the resurrection of victory and in his promise to come back to establish his kingdom forever and ever where he is our king and we are with him forever. Amen. This is the hope and the heart of our For the Kingdom expansion. It's one gospel, one Savior, that we get to holistically present that gospel, that Savior to every person right where they are, knowing that not everyone is fighting the same battles, but everyone is fighting a battle. And God has given us the privilege to join Him in that work. He's given us the privilege to join him in the work of redemption by being a testifier, by being a witness, by being the hands and feet, by being the light, by being salt, by being a disciple who makes disciples. So we look to him for guidance and and leading us to his property. This is his campus. This is his church for his glory and his will to be done. That is the heart of the For the Kingdom expansion. And what Jesus began in the proclamation that we've just studied, we are to continue. We are to continue in that proclamation. We are to be that voice until we're all home with him, capital H. So we embarked on a faith-filled journey one year ago to expand his campus for the multitudes and the generations to come, knowing it would be a move of God to complete. Let me just say, he is moving. And this move of God, it, it, it may not complete by the time some of us are home. We may not see the finished work of God, but I can promise you, I can promise you that what God has brought to be will be completed because I've seen the faithfulness of God, the steadfast work of God, and that His will will be done. And so that is exciting for us. It's extremely exciting and humbling that God would invite us into that great work. So I want to share some updates of him moving over the past year through our lives and some sacrificial generosity. And please hear me as I say this, this is only God. We started this expansion project a year ago, and it is an only God expansion project. But in the year since we started, through your sacrificial generosity and the work of God in and through your lives, you've given over $367,000 to the For the Kingdom campaign. Amen. I share that with you because you also gave, along with that, over a million dollars to our operational budget that continues to do the work day in and day out. Um, So with that all combined with other gifts through our partnership in Christian Academy and other ways, we, we saw God move and give to his kingdom and to his, to his work here through the church and through the campus of CFCC over $1.6 million last year. Unbelievable. 
I've been here a long time and I never thought, and, and this is a confession of how little my faith is, I, I never thought that we would be where we're at and where we're, where we're going and we're so close to paying off the initial investment of our campus. We only have $570,000 left to pay off our initial debt and we are, I never thought that we would be that close. We are so close. And so this year, and we have a very bold prayer this year to be debt-free in 23. And I invite you to join us. And yes, we like it because it rhymes. <laughs> and I would just invite you to join us in praying for that, that God would, we would see Ephesians 3.20 come to life once again, continued that God would do even more than we could ever think or imagine, which is what he's doing now. And we have almost $500,000 in committed uh, pledges for the campaign. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is a true, sincere honor to be a part of a church family, to be in this with you, who truly understand that this is greater than me. This is about the souls and lives of others who don't know the good grace of Jesus Christ, who don't know that there is salvation and hope in Jesus Christ. And so this is greater, and it will last, and it will reverberate, and it will ripple out long maybe after we're gone until, until Jesus comes back and we're home with him. So today, uh, we were, we're going to release some updated pictures because we know how uh, how exciting it is to see some of the vision kind of be put, you know, on paper. And so there are some updated campus renderings of where God is leading us in our first, what we are calling our first milestone, our first mile marker, if you will. We're excited to share that with you. Um, as, as you so you can be excited as much as we are to see where God is leading us in the future in some spaces and places he's shaping um, to come together to share his gospels to so many more, and it is truly amazing. So on the back wall on your way out, you can stop and see some of those new sketches of that first milestone, which is the, which is the addition of a family ministry center. Um, beside us, it's the renovation of our worship center and classrooms and all of that so we can uh, minister to even more people. And, and so that is the first part. And so you can see it in the lobby or you can see it on the back wall. So please take a moment to check those out and, and be praying for God, again, to continue to lead and guide us. Um, if you're new with us, as I mentioned, if you're new to worshiping with us um, or if you've been for, with us for a little while, just a, a simple invite. Would you join us in prayer for God's work? That we would be humbled, that we would be submissive, that it wouldn't be any of our kingdom but it would be only his kingdom leading through us. And if you would like to know how you can be involved, there are some cards and stuff in the seats around you. Please feel free to take one of those. Pray over that. If God would lead you to join us in that, we are trusting that the Holy Spirit would just lead you and your family. So a very simple invite. And again, thank you. Thank you for your, for your trust and for your your partnership and joining as a family, we are in this together. It truly is one of the greatest honors of my life to walk this walk home with you and to see the Lord continue to do what only he can do as we continue just to trust and submit as he works that in our lives and through our lives for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father,
God, I'm grateful. I woke up this morning just with that word in my mind and my heart, just grateful. I confess my little, my little faith that, that needs to get bigger. It needs to get bigger. I need to trust more. I needed this message maybe more than anybody else today. That your promises of what you have begun, the will and your providence that you have given and shown to us will be done and nothing will stop it. Nothing has and nothing will. So God, I pray that for the hearts and the minds of all of us that we are encouraged today that we are filled with hope once again. We are comforted with your, with your sovereignty. And that we can keep our eyes on Jesus as we continue to walk home. And then the work that you'll do here on your campus for your glory will be done in your perfect timing. So God, give us the strength and the faith just to continue to be obedient and to take each step as you light it up, knowing that we are on our way home. And there's going to be an incredible homecoming. God, we love you. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.